Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Christian Cody of DraftAnalyst.com, joined as always by Tony Pauline. And we're getting ready to head full speed into the start of NFL draft season. What's going on with you, Tony? Well, uh, you know, like you said, uh, we're basically in the third part of the scouting season. We go from the summer to the regular season of college football. That's over. We'll now move into the uh, bowl games. And last week was rather an exciting week watching the conference championship games. You know, as we predicted here, except for that ACC title game, uh, just about all the conference games were close and a few of them came down right to the wire. And now as we move towards uh, bowl season into December, more and more underclassmen are going to make their future intentions public. And those that haven't, we're going to let the cat out of the bag on a few of them during this podcast. So let's get started. Tony, as you alluded to, we just wrapped up conference championship week. The only game this upcoming weekend is the annual battle between Army and Navy. But obviously there is still plenty to discuss on this week's podcast. Starting off with Alabama-Georgia in the SEC title game, a game that really didn't disappoint uh, with the Tide storming back to win in the final minutes. Tua Tagovailoa struggled in this game. Uh, He was hurt. He really wasn't moving around so well. Uh, Eventually, he was forced out of the game in the fourth quarter. Jalen Hurts came in and kind of in a repeat of the national championship game from last year, just in reverse, leads Alabama from a deficit to a victory before we get into prospects and everything like that. Good for Jalen Hurts. You know, most people in his situation consider transferring. There were obviously rumors there. He stuck around. He was always a good teammate to Tua, and he recognized that, hey, the more talented player is going to be the one that plays right now. But when his team needed him, when he was called on, he came out and he made some big plays out there. So really just good for Jalen Hurts as a guy that this is going to be kind of the coronation of his college career. Not much of an NFL future for him, but really a nice way to go out for Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'm assuming two is back for the playoffs. So, you know, I'm just really happy for him. You know, moving on to the prospect side of things here. Tony, what'd you see on the field? Yeah, and isn't it ironic? I mean, Georgia loses the national title game last January because they can't defend Tua Tagovailoa, and then they lose their opportunity to get into the semifinals, potentially compete for another championship game this year because they can't defend Jalen Hurts. So uh, how ironic is that? You know, I could go on and on about the number of outstanding prospects in this game. You start off with Alabama. Quinton Williams, again, was spectacular. Raquan Davis played very well. Offensively, I thought Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs did a terrific job for Alabama. They didn't have a lot of carries, but when they took the handoffs, they were very effective. I think the guy who impressed me the most, or in a sense, gave me more than I expected, was DeAndre Walker of Georgia. I mean, Georgia's defense was hitting on all cylinders for basically three and a half quarters, and it was DeAndre Walker who really set the tone. I mean, he was getting a lot of pressure up the field. He was uh, forcing the action, sacks, tackles for loss, or basically forcing uh, Tagovailoa or the uh, Alabama running backs to kind of redirect and rethink what they were going to do because of his, of his ability to penetrate the, uh, the line of scrimmage. I think he really helped his draft stock in this one game. He's a guy who's been understated. You know, as we said last week, Georgia defense doesn't have a lot of gaudy statistics as far as sacks or tackle for loss. But what they do is they play smart, disciplined football, and, and they basically make plays or, or force the action that don't show up on the stat sheet. And I think you really saw a lot of that with DeAndre Walker on Saturday against Alabama. Yeah, I'd say Walker was definitely the star of the game on defense here for Georgia. He does a great job playing with leverage. He's got a great motor. Uh, He came, I think there was one play where 
Uh, it was about 10, 15 yards down the field. It was a pass completion. He didn't get to the quarterback. He runs all the way down and forces a fumble. Um, he also kind of has the awareness to recognize when his opponents are off balance. There was one time when Jonah Williams really set up too far outside. And before even contacts made, before they're within a foot of each other, uh, Walker goes ahead and swims to the inside and, and creates pressure inside. So he was really, really impressive in this game. Another guy that impressed me was J.R. Reed. I know he's a guy that you like. And you want to talk about playing discipline assignment football. It is the whole Georgia defense that does that, which is a credit to Kirby Smart. J.R. Reed is a hard hitter. He comes up the field quickly. He can fill the hole against the run, but he also plays disciplined football. Uh, you know, he keeps it on the outside shoulder to force plays inside. Doesn't keep him from making plays despite playing technically sound and playing gap football. That's really a good thing for J.R. Reed. Occasionally, he'll take a bad angle, miss a tackle, but I didn't see that really being a big issue. He did have a big interception deep in Georgia territory at one point in the game. Showed good closing speed and ball skills. Barely got there. It was a bad throw by Tua, but he got his hands up at the last minute. Showed good ball skills to close on the interception. Speaking of ball skills, I wasn't that impressed with DeAndre Baker's ball skills. I dropped an interception on the sideline where he's too worried about getting his feet in. Couldn't rip a reception away from Henry Ruggs despite really good, really tight coverage. Uh, you know, Baker's a guy, he's going to stay with receivers and he does have several seasons with two to three interceptions through his career, but I do question his ball skills and, and how that's going to play at the NFL level. Moving on to the running game that you mentioned before with Alabama, Damian Harris is really an underrated running back. Uh, he doesn't get as much hype and hoopla simply because he doesn't get the carries as you alluded to before. Neither him nor Jacobs really carried the ball a lot, but Harris does have a low center of gravity, keeps his legs moving. He's always picking up yards after contact and delivering the blow to defenders rather than having the blow delivered to him. And he's also a capable receiver out of the backfield. So he's going to be a guy that wherever he goes in the draft outside of the first 45 to 50 picks, he's going to be a good value. Moving along to the Pac-12 championship here, which was a much lower scoring game, and that was as expected. Eight of the first team conference defenders in the Pac-12 were from Utah and Washington, the two teams playing in this game. The Huskies ended up winning 10-3, only one touchdown scored. We're mostly taking a look at Miles Gaskin in the run game against the Utah defense. Who impressed you, Tony? Well, basically Chase Hansen, who we previewed uh, a week ago uh, before the game. He did, absolutely did not disappoint me. 13 tackles in the game constantly around the ball, you know, was was a large part in helping hold the Washington offense to 119 yards rushing. Hanson's a guy, very athletic, pursuit linebacker, run and chase guy with decent speed, former safety. We've mentioned him here before, guy who came into the season as a free agent. He was a riser, I believe, in my column right around week nine or 10. Uh, I think he's definitely pushed himself into the late part, late rounds of the draft. This will go a long way in helping his draft stock. Also gonna, is also going to play at the senior bowl. Obviously, you had to be impressed with Byron Murphy, the cornerback uh, from Washington. Only had one tackle, two interceptions. The first one, which he brought back for a touchdown, had a nice interception later on. Basically had a play that ended the Utah drive late in the fourth quarter when Utah, who really couldn't get anything going offensively, was moving for what they hoped would be a game-tying uh, touchdown. That play at the next level was pass interference because uh, Murphy definitely made contact with the receiver before the ball uh, the ball was in the area. But still, doesn't matter. The ref didn't throw the flag, so it, it goes as a, as a pass breakup for Murphy. He's got tremendous ball skills. As I've been saying since the end of September... Expected to enter the draft. He's going to be somewhere in the mid-bottom half of round one. And he just keeps improving, just keeps impressing with his ball skills. Another guy from Washington who I like, a guy who's under the radar, very understated, Ben Burkirvin, their middle linebacker. He's a little bit small, six foot even, 
222 pounds, runs about 4'7", plays faster. You know, scouts graded him as a street free agent coming into the season. I gave him a priority free agent grade. Leads Washington with 165 tackles. Uh, also, well, four forced fumbles and three fumbles recovered. Finished the game with 10 tackles. You know, you look at his measurables, six foot even, 222, 225 pounds. You say he's small, but he's really what the NFL wants in linebackers these days. You know, the smaller, quick guys that can run to the ball quickly, either up the field or laterally, and make plays on the ball handler. So I think Ben Burke-Hervin, this was just another game to impress scouts and another game that I think will help push him into potentially the late rounds of the draft. I'll touch on one of the guys you mentioned, and that's Chase Hansen. Uh, this was my first exposure to him, and he really does have great read and reactability. Uh, he works through the trash to make plays. His recognition is good. He's always around the ball for those reasons. He may lack that sideline-to-sideline side speed. He's a sure tackler, though, and he's a guy that's really going to bring you down once he has you in his grasp. And, you know, he's at this point a very legitimate late-round pick, and this game did nothing to hurt his stock. Moving on to the Washington side of things here, Miles Gaskin. Great burst doesn't lose speed in and out of his cuts, is really, really good vision and really good instincts. He waits for blocks. He sees the next cut ahead. He'll see a blitzer hit a gap, and he'll already have decided to cut before he even takes the handoff. Uh, he's, he's really aware on the field there. He has nice footwork in small spaces, especially behind the line of scrimmage against penetration. Uh, he trusts his acceleration and his burst, which allows him to continue to be patient and really wait for his blocks to set up and trust himself. He's a guy going into the draft that is a little bit underrated. A lot of people look at the size and say, hey, you know, he's not a feature back at the NFL level. That doesn't mean he can't be an effective back. And he's a guy that really should move towards the draft with a lot of momentum. Now we're going to stick with some skill players here and move into the MAC title game where Buffalo and Northern Illinois faced off. The skill players I'm talking about here are quarterback Tyree Jackson and wide receiver Anthony Johnson for the Bulls against the Northern Illinois defense, which was led by Sutton Smith, who is leading the MAC in several different categories as a pass rusher. Buffalo put on a show early in this game, faded late, ended up losing the game. Any takeaways from this one, Tony? Well, you know, the history of the MAC title game is one that, that they're usually close. They're usually last-minute victories, and this one lived up to the billing. I mean, Sutton Smith, you can't help but be constantly impressed with this guy. Ten tackles, three-and-a-half tackles for loss, two sacks, two quarterback hurries. I mean, almost he alone altered the momentum of that game in the second half. We spoke about him before. Doesn't have the great size. If he's six foot one, I mean, that, that's going to be a positive. I don't think he's that tall. Uh, goes in the, in the mid-230s. Probably a guy, when you look at his computer numbers, he's a last-day pick. When you look at his play on the field, he's a second-day pick. He's one of those guys, you know, you look at the Mike Rabels of the world, you look at the Teddy Bruskies of the world, guys who didn't have great measurables but came into the league, got hooked up with a very creative defensive coordinator, and had great success at the next level. That's what Sutton Smith is uh, is going to need. He's not a great athlete. He's not. He doesn't have great computer numbers. He's just a tremendous football player. He continues to impress. I was also impressed with Khalil Hodge, a guy who I graded as a potential third-round pick before the season began. Scouts have him as a priority free agent. He's probably going to go somewhere in between. Another run-and-chase linebacker, tremendous run defender, more of a two-down defender, which is going to hurt him at the next level. But still, you put him on the inside of a 3-4, and he's going to do the job. Anthony Johnson is a guy that I've been on for two years now. I saw a lot of people early in the season who uh, had him as a potential first-round pick. I never believed it. And when I watched the game, I said, you know, 
the issues that I have with Anthony Johnson, his downfield speed and ability to separate down the field were quite prominent. He's a good vertical receiver, but the problem is, is he can't outrun anybody. And you saw late in the game when Tyree Jackson was trying to get the ball to uh, Anthony Johnson downfield. Johnson just could not get separation. He could not win out in the foot race. And a lot of most of those passes went incomplete. So while I like him as a receiver, it's sort of a situation like with Sutton Smith. He's just not a great athlete. I had Johnson as a third rounder. A lot's going to depend on how fast he runs. If he can't get in the, in that low 4-5 area, he's probably going to be a last-day pick. If he surprises and gets in the high 4-4s, four he's probably a later third-round selection. Still a very good receiver, but early you know, in September and October, before the injury, when people were grading him as a potential first-round choice, I said, no way, he doesn't have enough speed to be a first-round selection. And I think that was borne out during the conference game, especially late. Yeah, Johnson was really a monster early, but even when he was making big plays, he was doing it in tight coverage. He was doing it in contested situations. Uh, it's not really a guy that shows that separation ability, and that is something that could hurt him down the line when he goes and heads into the draft. He's physically dominant. He has late hands, which, again, will help in contested situations, but he just doesn't create that separation that you want. And more and more, the NFL is trending towards players that can create separation, can get open, and can create space. Tyree Jackson... He's an intriguing guy. He's got some erratic accuracy, but he's also really capable of making some nice balls, dropping dimes in the bucket. He had several fades and back shoulder routes to the sideline in the end zone that were just perfect throws in tight coverage. Some of them to Johnson, some of them to other receivers, but these balls would not have been completions, let alone touchdowns, if they weren't perfect balls. Uh, he's huge. Obviously, he's about 6'7". He's a beast as a runner. He's Cam Newton-esque in that sense with his size and his power in the open field. But he also has a tendency to sail passes, makes his receivers work a little too hard to make the receptions, and he's not going to lead them into opportunities after the catch. He also is negatively affected in the second half by the increased pressure that Northern Illinois was putting on, which really kind of torpedoed the Buffalo offense after a hot start. Now, speaking of that Northern Illinois defense, you mentioned Sutton Smith, and he's a guy quick for a step to the edge, excellent burst, and really good flexibility to dip around the corner. As a rusher, he has the speed to make plays against the run from the backside. He really does have a nonstop motor. He's all over the field in this game, especially later on, but he struggles to shed blocks in the run game. He doesn't really create much push or movement against offensive linemen, so it's possible that he does settle in as a, a third down pass rusher and a passing down player only in the NFL. But these days, that's still worth a pick early on day three, middle day three, something in that range. So Sutton Smith is an intriguing guy, even if he is going to be somewhat limited in his next level role. We'll move on to the Mountain West game here, where we had another quarterback to watch, and that was Boise State's Brett Rippon. We were also watching Fresno safety Mike Bell, so it was an interesting battle to see those two go head-to-head -head here, and also Mike Bell against the running game of Boise State. We've mentioned him several times on the podcast as a guy that we've heard good things about as a guy who could go on day two. Tony, what did you think of these two prospects and how they played? Yeah, a fun game to watch. I mean, first it looked like it was raining, then it turns to snow, then it clears up, and then the game goes into overtime. So it was an enjoyable game to watch. I thought Mike Bell played very well. And again, we've spoken about Bell in the past. He's a guy who... I expect to enter the draft, a versatile defensive back. He's got excellent length, excellent movement skills, nine tackles in a game, broke up one pass, although there really wasn't much of a passing game for him to make a lot of plays on the ball. He's fluid. He's smooth. He's a guy who can play safety. He can play corner. You can use him uh, over the slot receiver as a uh, nickel or dime back in those sorts of packages. So I think Mike Bell continues to improve. You'll watch, you look for him to enter the draft. 
depending on how he runs. I think he's more of an early day three guy in that fourth round area. Could hop into the third round. Brett Rippon, you know, we saw what he is. He's more of a game manager. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. 125 yards passing on, on 15 of 31 attempts. One touchdown, no interceptions. Rippon was a guy who was basically ignored by scouts entering the year, which, which I thought really did him a disservice. I think he's a guy that will get some looks in camp, maybe a practice squad guy. At best, a number three at the next level, primarily to use his eyes and use his knowledge on the field uh, of the game because he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. I didn't think it was a horrible game, uh, but under the conditions, he didn't put his teams in bad positions. Mike Bell was always around the ball in this game. He made several big plays near the line of scrimmage. He's a willing hitter. He's a tough player. And while he missed a couple tackles in the hole and at the second level, a lot of that is actually credit to Boise State running back Alexander Madison, who ran hard. And I think he touched the ball well over 30 times in this game and, and really ran well. That pass breakup that you mentioned with Mike Bell was actually a drop pick six. Uh, he made a great play to recognize the quick out, broke on the pass before the receiver even broke off his route, and he had a beat on the ball. It hit him right in the hands. He should have made the play. He should have had a pick six. It's hard to take too much away from him because everything else, else about the play was good, and he put himself in that position. But it's still nice to see a guy make the play when he puts himself there. When it comes to ripping, like Steven Montez three weeks ago when we uh, broke him down when Colorado faced off against Utah, it was a bad weather game, but also a game that didn't really show too much as far as NFL potential. Uh, Rippon has average arm strength. His ball placement is average. He's not really the kind of guy that's going to uh, stand out in any way. As you said, he's a smart, heady player, but those guys hold clipboards at the NFL level, and you can make a very good living doing that, but Brett Rippon is not the kind of guy that's going to come in and, and start or even compete for a spot starter or top-level backup role in the league. Now, Tony, those are the games that we're going to break down in depth here. Do you have any other final thoughts on some of the other games? I know you had a, you know, a look at Conference USA. Yeah, another good game that was back and forth. And a week ago, and even in the piece that I did before the game, I highlighted several players on the UAB defense. Prominently nose tackle Anthony Rush, and he did not disappoint. Finished with five tackles, three tackles for losses. I tweeted out as I was watching him during the game. Middle Tennessee was constantly double and triple teaming him. They couldn't stop him. He was getting tremendous push up the field. He's a decent athlete. He goes six four and a half, three hundred 340 pounds on a good day. Uh, he's definitely a, a space eater in the middle of the line who he's not going to make plays outside of the box, but but he's not an immobile guy either. People have got to start to pay attention to this guy because of his size, because of his movement skills, because of his sheer power and ability to gobble up blockers. You know, a guy who I think is just going to be a very good nose tackle at the next level, plays relatively hard, and could just be an overwhelming force. So, I mean, I was high on Anthony Rush coming into the season. I was very excited to see him play, and he did not disappoint me at all against Middle Tennessee. Now, as usual, we have some big news around the college football landscape to cover this week. But before we get into that, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave a rating and a review. And if you ask a question in your review, we'll do our best to answer it on the show if there's time at the end. You can also tweet us questions at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe underscore LA to get in touch with the show. Now, coaching changes in underclassmen QBs are going to highlight this week's news segment. Tony, Monday on DraftAnalyst.com, you reported that Jared Sidham would enter the draft. Less than 24 hours later, the Auburn quarterback made it official. What's the latest on why you think he made this decision? 
I thought there were a variety of reasons. You know, number one, he's graduated. I kind of said in my piece that he was on course to graduate in May. What I meant to say was he was on course to get his graduate degree by this May. So he's 23 years old. He's well-traveled, started at Baylor, moved on to community college, then ended up in Auburn. So being a graduate transfer, it really wasn't an option for him, especially he'll be 23 years old when the season starts next year. As I kind of said in the piece, there was a lot of confusion at Auburn. I'm just hearing there was a lot of mayhem. There was a lot of problems with the offensive system. It's a situation where it's almost a, a one-read type of offense, which really didn't suit him. He's a heady, intelligent guy. I think that the decision was made that he's got the physical tools and they just don't know how much or he just didn't think that he was going to develop that much at Auburn really to return and, and have a big year and improve his draft stock because of the situation, because of the offensive scheme. I think overall it was sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for Stidham. I like him. I thought he made the best choice by entering the draft, although a lot of people think otherwise. Yeah, you could argue that Stidham really didn't develop much this year playing at Auburn. So who's to say that going back for one more year would have done anything but continue to hurt him? He's likely has more development to do at the NFL level than at the college level, even if he is heading into the draft without the momentum that you'd like to see an underclassman QB go in with, or at least a QB with extra eligibility. Now, in that same article, you mentioned that Stidham could receive a senior bowl invite despite being an underclassman since he had graduated already. He has received that invite and he has accepted that invite. So we are going to see Jared Stidham at the Senior Bowl in January. What are your thoughts on that for him? Yeah, people I spoke with last week who told me that Stidham was going to enter the draft basically told me at the same time that the Senior Bowl invitation was locked up for him, which is important. Uh, You know, I, I think it's a great move for him because the Senior Bowl can be a kingmaker at the quarterback position. I've been to every full pads practice at the Senior Bowl since 2000. Saw guys like Carson Palmer. So guys like David Carr, Derek Carr, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, who went to the Senior Bowl, had huge weeks and just watched their stock take off. A lot of sins or bad play from the season can be quickly erased. I think Stidham has what it takes to be successful at the Senior Bowl. He is a pro type of quarterback. He has a pro type of game. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. You know, he's got the head. He didn't have a strong surrounding cast this year. Like I said, there were questions about the uh, coaching situation, which we're seeing come to fruition now. I think it's a good move for him. I'm excited to see him. I think there's going to be nothing but good for Stidham over the three days of Senior Bowl practice. Now, Tony, where do you presently rank Sidham if all goes right in the draft process, and and where do you think he could end up? Well, I mean, presently, I I think he's a fourth-round pick, but that will change depending on his senior bowl performance. And if all goes well or or he plays the way I expect him to do at the senior bowl, I think Sidham will jump into the top 90 selections of the 2019 draft. Now, let's move to the Big Ten and the news that the Rose Bowl will be the final game that Urban Meyer coaches at Ohio State before retiring Do you think this is going to affect the upcoming decisions on underclassmen at the school, specifically quarterback Dwayne Haskins? It absolutely will. In fact, we're already starting to see it affect uh, the decisions of recruits because I believe the Buckeyes lost two top recruits today. Despite all the hype that's been around Haskins as a prospect the past two months, I'm told he had not been meeting with agents and really had no interest in the draft. That changed since Meyer's announcement, and several people told me that Haskins is rethinking his options. His confidence have reached out to a few people. They're going to likely start vetting agents. There may be some potential meetings with the quarterback. You know, even with that, I got to stress from what I'm hearing, Haskins is a long way from making the final decision. 
But that choice by Urban Meyer to retire has seemingly changed uh, Haskins' future plans or the way he's going to approach his future plans very quickly. Where do you think Haskins lands in the draft if he does end up leaving school? You know, I'm very conservative on my quarterbacks when I grade my quarterbacks. I'm very conservative in life in general. I see him right now as an early second round pick. There are a lot of people who are going to say he's a first-round choice. They may be right. Quarterbacks are usually drafted a little bit earlier than I, I rate them. I'm just concerned about guys that don't have a big body of work, and Haskins really doesn't have that body of work. I think he's a second-rounder right now if he enters the draft early part of round two. Could he go mid to late part of round one? Absolutely. There's another coaching change to discuss in the Big Ten, this one at Maryland, where Alabama's offensive coordinator Mike Loxley will take over the program. Will this hire have any effect on the future of the team's top juniors, specifically safety Antoine Brooks Jr.? I'm hearing it will, and it's going to be the opposite of what I was told about Ohio State and Haskins. I was told that Antoine Brooks, who grades as a middle-round choice, was set to leave after the season with all the mayhem that had been going on. But things have seemed to settle down a bit. I heard that players were very excited about Loxley, and the football department is now saying that Brooks is likely to stay. We'll see what happens moving forward, but I think the hiring of Loxley is having the reverse effect on the Maryland juniors that Urban Meyer's announcement that he's retiring is having on the Buckeye players. Let's stick with that Big Ten theme and move over to Michigan State. What's the latest news on the Spartans underclassmen? I'm told that defensive end Kenny Willekes, and I know I butchered his last name, Kenny Willekes is very likely to enter the draft. Some people told me that he's absolutely going to enter the draft, while cornerback Justin Lane is also leaning heavily towards entering the draft. I graded Willekes as a sixth-round pick before the season began. He's improved somewhat. I don't think he's going to go that much higher. He goes six foot three, about 255 pounds, had a real good season, 76 tackles. 20.5 tackles for loss, eight and a half sacks. The question is, is, you know, how athletic is he? Six foot three, 255 pounds. He's got to run really fast because they're going to look at him standing up over tackle. Probably too light to play defensive end in the NFL, although he was a solid run stopper at Michigan State. If he enters the draft, and I'm here he's going to, more like a late rounder. Justin Lane, a lot of scouts like him. A lot of people have told me he's got a top 75 grade if he works out well, if he runs well. He's got excellent length. He goes about 6 feet, 2 inches, 180 to 185 pounds. Another guy who who had a decent season on the stat sheet, 72 tackles, 16 pass defenses, only one interception. That may be just an issue of being able to catch the ball, but he's got the length. On film, he seems to have the athleticism. We have to see how he works out. And as I said, a lot of scouts like him think he could go top 75. In previous podcasts, we've discussed Alabama tight end Irv Smith Jr., and you mentioned then that he's probably risen faster than any offensive player in the nation when you consider where he was ranked at the start of the season. Do you think Smith ends up entering the draft? You know, from what I'm hearing, several people have told me it looks like Irv Smith Jr. is going to stay at Alabama. If he enters the draft, he's a potential late first-round pick. He's probably the second tight end off the board after Noah Fant of Iowa, who declared last week. But all signs point that Smith is going to return. He's a guy who's made a big move up draft boards, really wasn't even the starter in 2017. Hale Hentages, who's more of a blocking tight end, was a starter. You watch the way his game is taken off. He went from 14 receptions in 2017 to 38 receptions this year, 648 yards, averaging 17.1 yards uh, per reception with seven TDs. A tremendous uh, pass-catching tight end, but... Everything I've been told from multiple people is it looks right now 
that Irv Smith is going to stay in school and go back to Alabama for another season. While Smith looks likely to stay with the Tide, there is another offensive player for Alabama that looks likely to head out and enter the NFL draft. Tony, what are you hearing? I'm hearing somewhat surprisingly that Josh Jacobs is leaning towards entering the draft. He's the third back on the Tide's depth chart, rushed for 495 yards on 94 carries last year, totaled a huge 11 touchdowns. Really, his production the past couple of years has been up and down, but that's because Alabama spreads the ball around. They have so many good backs. With Damien Harris leaving, you still have Najee Harris there, so maybe Josh Jacobs feels that he's not going to get that many more touches in 2019, and he might as well leave now. If he does enter the draft, He's likely a last-day pick. Uh, This one caught me by surprise, as it did a few other people. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but I'm told that Josh Jacobs of Alabama is leaning towards entering the draft. Staying in Tuscaloosa for a moment, there are also reports that linebacker Mac Wilson is going to do exactly what Irv Smith Jr. is doing and stick around for another season in Tuscaloosa rather than follow Josh Jacobs to the NFL. Now, moving along and sticking in the SEC, one tight end who's gone under the radar in the internet world but who's highly thought of in the scouting community, is well-traveled Jace Sternberger of Texas A&M. Now, Sternberger started his career at Kansas. He transferred to Northeastern Oklahoma A&M and didn't play football at all in 2017 before landing with the Aggies this year and enjoying a breakout season. What's the word on Sternberger, Tony? Yeah, and I mean, a breakout season it was. 47 receptions for 804 yards, 10 touchdowns, averaging 17.1 yards per reception. First game out of the gate for uh, Texas A&M, he had five catches for 56 yards with two scores uh, this year in the season opener. Granted, it was against Northwestern State, but it was a sign of things to come. I'm hearing different things on Sternberger. I hear that he is meeting with agents. But teams or people expect him to go back to Texas A&M, which probably would be the best thing for him. I mean, being that he's so well-traveled and really hasn't played all that much football until last season. There's a slight chance he comes out. I'm hearing that he's an early day three pick if he works out well. Excellent size, terrific pass-catching hands. So keep the name of Jay Sternberger on the back burner there, just in case he does uh, change course from what I'm told and enters the draft. And that's a wrap for episode number seven of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating and a review, and feel free to send us questions to answer on the show. As always, visit draftanalyst.com as your go-to resource for information on the 2019 NFL Draft, and we'll be back in this space next week to start breaking down the early bowl games. For Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi, and we'll talk to you soon.